lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and we are closing out today's slate of three podcasts with my interview with Leo London, a professional wrestler whose home promotion, uh, Premier Championship Wrestling, runs in Winnipeg uh, whenever the pandemic is not going. Um, Someone who has been in the ring with such luminaries as Kenny Omega and uh, the Honky Tonk Man, which (laughs) you'll hear more about that in the interview here. But uh, Leo is uh, an outstanding talent who's been in the ring for a decade at this point. Um, and really his story is emblematic of so many others, but is also unique in, in many ways, you know, his journey through pro wrestling to finding comfort in putting himself out publicly, even though that never necessarily was a huge thing for him. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just really outstanding stuff. His work with, you know, whether he's tag teaming with his brother as the London Dynasty or the Gentleman's Club or, you know, anything like that. You know, it's just, he's been doing some awesome stuff. And now, you know, I think he's, he might be, I think he's ready for uh, a chance to step into the States a bit and, and kind of broaden out from, you know, Northern and Western Canada. But regardless, Leo's outstanding, um, you know, and, I love the conversation that we had here and I hope you do too. You know, we veer off at points into like the, the intellectual deep state (laughs) for a minute. Uh, And also like, you know, we talk about Leo's love of Yu-Gi-Oh and and trading card games and stuff like that. So it's just a really fun all around conversation and I hope you enjoy it, but make sure listen to this episode, go back and check out our episodes talking about for the culture and Alicastro hot girl shit or that dropped earlier today with myself and my partner KC running through those shows. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there for you. But for now, let's get into my chat with Leo London. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am excited to have as my guest this week someone from uh, the Great White North, I guess, to us to us Americans here. Um, actually, you might be the first Canadian wrestler that we've had on the show. I know I've had, you know, Ryan uh, Levy from uh, the Out in the Ring documentary, who over in Toronto, but you might be the first actual like Canadian wrestler on the show. Uh, one half of the Gentleman's Club, one half of the London Dynasty, former four-time PCW Tag Team Champion, Leo London. Welcome to LGBT in the Ring. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here and represent Canada and Greece. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's awesome. We're, I'm happy to have you. I've been looking forward to having the chance to talk to you. You know, like obviously you have a a lengthy career at this point you've been in the ring for like right around 10 years or so um and but also like um, and while a lot of that time has been spent like in like western like middle canada i'm bad with regions sometimes so if you'll excuse me (laughs) there but like you spent a lot of time up there but your name is kind of broadened out a bit from that area you know whether it be through a lot of your work with uh premier championship wrestling in winnipeg um, which obviously has some 
big names tied to it in in Kenny Omega and Don Callis and yeah uh, yeah so there's definitely some some uh, synergy there in that way but I don't know I, I'm glad that you have come on on my radar in recent years and I and I like I said when before we started recording here I'll extend the thank you to Darnell Mitchell for uh, the former producer for Uncanny Attractions for doing that. Um, but yeah, I've just been excited to get a chance to kind of pick your mind and, and uh, get to know you a bit, a bit more. <laughs> can't, can't wait to chat. Yeah. So I guess before we get anything going, like, let's talk a little bit about like the situation in, in Canada right now, because obviously, you know, with the pandemic and everything, companies have still been running in America, but it seems like Canada has been put on hiatus for the most part. Um, what has it been like for you during this uh, year plus of pandemic so far? Um, well, I've had the opportunity. There are some companies who uh, who are trying to wrestle, and I've had off offers, but I can't, in good conscience, do it um, mm. for health reasons. Like uh, my like real life, I'm studying um, medicine uh, in psychology, and I would be going to school at a hospital. Like I would be doing my class, have to go to a hospital to do my classes. So I can't be near anyone who's like been in contact with people from out of province or anything like that. And I can't even do, I'm not even going to my school right now because I'm definitely not essential personnel as someone who doesn't even like, I don't have my uh, degrees or anything like that. So I can't actually diagnose anyone or anything. So I'm pretty much stuck at home anyways. So I, if I was able to come back in, I can't be taking bookings. So I can't have my real life be shut down by a potential return for a wrestling booking. It just doesn't uh, mathematically work out. No, I mean, it makes total sense, you know, especially like whenever it comes to like public health, public safety in that way. And then and that, in that way, I will commend you because I think that, you know, Obviously, with the we we're just coming off of a, a WrestleMania weekend where like thousands of fans were live in attendance there, and uh, an almost equitable amount of, of wrestlers were down there as well, um, yeah. working shows. And so, like, in, in those kind of environments, you know, there is a risk. There's always a risk in, in this environment. Um, so, and it, it can be hard to kind of like step away from something like that for as long as you have, knowing the passion mm -hmm. that you have for it. But, you know, it's it's commendable that that public health kind of supersedes that, that in your mind for your for yourself. Yeah, um, there is another small benefit that my body doesn't hurt, <laughs> <laughs> which is new. <laughs> my knees don't bother me. My neck isn't bothering me. My back doesn't hurt like it's crazy. <laughs> um, so that's the good side. Um, Unfortunately, like so many of my friends are tied to wrestling. So I don't really like uh, Alex Vanna is in Swan River. Bevan is in uh, Saskatchewan. Even even my uh, girlfriend is a province over. So we're all like spread out and it's very difficult to be with your friends to begin with. But it's even worse at a time where, you know, we aren't gathering for shows anymore. No, I mean, it could definitely impact your mental health that that lack of socialization that lack of connection that that isolation that it brings like i think that's something that that i've experienced a lot as well personally and, and i know other people have it's interesting that you talk about studying psychology um because i think an, um, a big topic 
currently right now within pro wrestling, especially during the with the pandemic happening, is um, kind of the emergence of openly discussing mental health within pro wrestling as well. Yeah. Um, what has how has it been for you to see that become more of a talking point amongst wrestlers um, in the recent like couple of years? Well, I can't ever see it being a bad thing. I think it's a very good thing, and I think everybody should feel free to talk about those kinds of things in a very like non-judgmental sort of way regardless of what field you're in but because wrestling is a very like hyper macho masculine thing where you're not allowed you know like toxic masculinity exists everywhere but it's rampant in wrestling locker rooms like some of them i've been into it is just horrific <laughs> but uh in general, to see the business becoming more welcome to people being vulnerable, I think that's only a positive. I can't, I really can't see a bad thing about somebody being able to say, like, I need a mental health break, and people take that person seriously, regardless of, you know, the, the reason behind it. I think that's only a good thing for, for everybody. Yeah. Do, do you feel like that, that, uh, kind of advancement or that that heightened level of like comfort with being able to, to speak openly about these things kind of ties in with the same advancements in like cultural inclusion that we've seen in pro wrestling in, in recent years like with whether it be you know lgbtq identities or um you know more talent of color more pr promoters of color and more acceptance of of uh of women and in different areas of pro wrestling do you feel like there's a connection between those two things uh, it's very, I think society as a whole is moving in a more um, progressive motion. And I think that's very good. Um, society tends to move in like massive overcorrections. Like for a while, the like Jordan Peterson's and the like Milo Yiannopoulos or however you say his name and what's his, uh, Ben Shapiro, all of them got like super famous. And I, I just knew that a massive overcorrection was coming. And then I think that's what we're in now. And the longer it stays on this course, the, the better, frankly. Yeah. Those kinds of people, they like come in and they make a lot of noise and then they like burn themselves out. And th that type of mentality isn't sustainable. So unfortunately, you just kind of had to let them punch themselves out. And so we could get to a more enlightenment stage where everybody who like you can listen to them and it's fascinating to hear how they present their arguments, no matter how diluted it may be, but to, to sift through it and actually try to take it in what they're saying, that's something else. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad they all just burnt out and are gone now. Yeah, no, I, I especially like, I, I love that we've gone like almost 80, like almost 90 episodes on the show. We've never had Jordan Peterson's name come up on this show, but I Absolutely. love it. Oh, no, no. I'm fine with it because that's a name that I love to dunk on. So like, <laughs> I, I am here for it. Like talk about someone who just could not survive the intellectual rope-a-dope. Um, so yeah, like, but I agree with you. Like these, you do see overcorrections in, in a way. Um, but at the same time, I think, a lot of that is based more on like cult of personality rather than actually substantially saying something that can yeah. be carried forward. And you see the movements that do have something to say that can be applicable and how sustaining they are. You know, there's a reason why, you know, we had so much like 
representation from underrepresented communities at this WrestleMania weekend, and I can't remember the last time I saw Jordan Peterson's name trending. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it evens itself out in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know why this compared pro wrestling to Jordan Peterson, but anyway. It's so, uh, about them, it's so funny to me that part of the reason I don't necessarily believe in, like, deplatforming people and canceling them, like, to an extent, if you listen to everybody who tried to shut down, let's take Milo because he's the best example, is everybody tried to shut him down and all they did was make him a millionaire. Everybody protesting him and whatever just made him a controversial figure. Then he's got this book deal that's worth a million dollars. Like they literally made him a millionaire. And if they didn't have done that and just let him talk, he's full of shit. <laughs> and as soon as he got, in, he was free to say whatever he want. Who's the person that shot himself in the foot? It was him. He said something so dumb that even his own supporters were like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And then it makes every, they backtrack. And then they realize that, okay, this person was full of shit the whole time. And then he played us. Exactly. And uh, that's why I'm not so, I don't, I like to, I honestly like to listen to Jordan. Uh, Not what he's saying, but how he's saying it. How he conducts his arguments and is able to basically deflect in these like, mind ninja kind of ways so he never actually has to argue his point defensively it's hilarious it's hilarious how people can uh, sink, fall into that sinkhole but what he's saying is dumb <laughs> and that's why he he has to talk that way because if he engages directly at what he's actually supposed to be talking about he would never say anything because it's he's got no his arguments have no legs to stand on in real life but yeah, he's he's Canadian, so unfortunately, he's a bit more of a um, he's got more of a buzz up here, which is why I brought him up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, he's still. I'm sure he still gets plenty of play in a lot of circles down here too. Just luckily, it's not a ton of circles that I typically run in, which is yeah, good for I, my I'm mental sure health. They exist. <laughs> oh, oh just, for sure. God. They're just not making as much noise exactly like i think the main one down here still is ben shapiro and you know he's he's easy to ignore for the most part so (laughs) yeah he dunks on himself on twitter all the time and it's so funny like he thinks he's clapping back on people and he just like there was that one reason he basically said he never pleases his wife bingo (laughs) he's just telling on himself all day long (laughs) like this is why we don't have to de-platform him he's doing it himself god it's oh i love it how did we get on that guy i I don't don't know (laughs) but you know what i'm happier now because i had a chance to rip on ben shapiro and that makes that makes my mental health feel better so um but yeah so that's interesting i mean i I didn't know we're gonna end up going there to start off with but i'm totally fine with it but but i do want to go back and talk more about you yourself leo because you know you've you've had a, a lengthy career so far but mm-hmm. everyone's pro wrestling story doesn't start necessarily whenever they choose to enter the ring. It's whenever wrestling gets into your blood in a way. For you, when was the first time that you kind of interacted with pro wrestling and when did it get its, its hooks into you? All right. So uh, I really started watching wrestling like a little bit before I ended up moving with my family uh, to live with my family in Greece. Uh, me and my brother were separated when we were very small because my mother was like not ready to be raising children and we just needed to be uh, removed from her care and we would watch a little bit of wrestling 
uh, when we could when I was there. But once I moved with my papa, I expressed an interest in it. And he was like, you are not watching that shit because this is the height, the height of the attitude era. And he didn't want that ruining my young mind. So he's like, here, watch this. And he gave me like say, uh, tapes of Johnny Saint, uh, Johnny Kidd, Steve Gray, Les Kettle, and most importantly for me, Big Daddy, who at the uh, time I loved, um, who is like a British, uh, for those who may not know, he's like the British Hulk Hogan. Everybody sees them as all like William Regals. No, no, no. This guy was not a William Regal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and once uh, I got into university and got a little bit older, I discovered that those tapes were like currency and I could trade them for other tapes. And then I started getting into like Misawa and, and like Kenta and Marafuji and Pro Wrestling Noah in particular. Um, that really interested me. And then what Misawa in particular really made me want to try and become a wrestler. But then Mike Quackenbush, I saw him do a move called the Lightning Lock Beta. He hooks a guy in the Russian leg sweep. They take the bump. They roll all the way through it. So they're both on their knees with the, uh, the opponent's leg still hook. And then Quack puts the other leg in the stretch muffler. It's amazing. Oh. And it blew my mind. And I was like, okay, hold, hold on. I have to rewind it and then watch that move again. Try, just trying to figure out mechanically how it's done. And then uh, I took a wrestling camp as a summer activity when I was back home. And... I never did with any, didn't do anything with it for years until I moved back here in 2010. And then uh, I did it as mostly a social activity because I didn't know anybody anymore. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how, that's how I started on this crazy path I've been in now. Honky Tonk <laughs> Man has busted his guitar open on my head oh. in, a, in a bar in Brandon, Manitoba <laughs> in a match featuring Kenny Omega. <laughs> like, how did this happen to me? How Bret Hart hit me with the damn dusty elbow and I have heat with him forever <laughs> because he cost me the NXW championship. Oh. Um, so I'm very blessed to have had all these crazy opportunities come my way to what is essentially the middle of nowhere of the world. Um, Winnipeg is like 15 hours from Edmonton and Calgary. And more than 24 from Toronto and places like that. Mm. So it's middle of nowhere. Um, so how I ended up on this huge roller coaster, getting all these amazing things happening to me, it may not be no big deal to some people. Like I got to wrestle my heroes, Steve Carino. And, and uh, before certain things came out about them, Mike Quackenbush, um, I never thought I was going to do that. I never thought I was going to wrestle a match. <laughs> uh, so, yes, it's just been a wild ride ever since then. God, that's just a, like a laundry list of, of, of pro wrestling names that just light up as soon as you put them out there. And such a strange confluence of them, like in, in one spot especially with yeah. the honky tonk and Kenny Omega. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. I, I want to ask you about all those different interactions there, but I, I want to go back a little bit further, a little bit to the beginning though. Like, so had you been aware of the attitude era whenever you wanted to start watching wrestling? Like, were you aware of like what the product was then? Uh, so when I was starting, when I was first watching it, as like a really, really young boy before getting separated. Mm -hmm. I think like rock was the intercontinental champion. Okay. 
So that should would be about when I was st vaguely starting to pay attention. But I remember the very first episode of SmackDown I got to watch as it aired, as it happened, was much, much later. And it was Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle in the Iron Man match. Oh, wow. So that would tell you when I started watching the WWE and why I kind of like, I don't like the Attitude Era because now I'm watching it with like not nostalgia goggles because I didn't grow up watching it. I was like, this is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, the main reason why I asked that is because like it is a very like diametric shift to go from like watching Attitude Era WWE, WWF to like World of Sport. Johnny yep. Saint and Big and Big Daddy. What was it like for you? Whatever, like you, like knowing you're like growing up watching like World of Sport and getting into pro wrestling, Noah, and then going back to WWE and then having that path and seeing the comparisons between the two. Mm -hmm. um, well, I still loved the product. I thought like there were certain guys in particular that I felt were very magnetic, and probably the biggest to me is Brock Lesnar. Mm -hmm. Like. People may kind of crap on him, but the fact is the dude is a star. He doesn't have to show when he had the belt and didn't have to show up on pay-per-view all the time and stuff like that. Hogan did defend the belt all the time either. Like he didn't, he didn't defend it monthly even. And he never fought people on television. Like uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, because again, I didn't watch this, but like, he would fight jobbers every once in a while on Saturday night's main event, but he never like faced Randy Macho Man Savage on television. Right. Yeah. So why, why people expected him to be out wrestling? I don't know. John Cena every week on TV. That's crazy to me. Um, <laughs> but, but Brock, um, for some reason, Rob Van Dam, which I mean, stylistically makes no flashy. sense. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who else really stuck out at that time? I remember the, the intercontinental title scene being lit at that time, like really good. Even a young Randy Orton was really good. You could tell even back then that he was going to be phenomenal. Um, I loved, uh, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, he was really good in his tag team with, uh, Chavo. But mm -hmm. that to me is prime WWE time. And it, I don't think it's ever been that good since. And I've always liked John Cena. Always. Yes. <laughs> that's a badge. That's a badge right there that, that, that you're wearing. I like it. Yeah. I talk uh, about it with uh, Brett Evans all the time. How people are like, they came around to the John Cena train. And me and him, was, we were there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting on everybody, asking them what took them so long, right? Yeah, same with Roman Reigns. Like, we knew that eventually everyone's going to just be talking about how great he is. And it's only a matter of time before people are saying the same thing about talking the same way about Reigns, if they aren't already, that they're talking about John now. Yeah, I think that I think that Roman's definitely making that that trip back around in a lot of fans' eyes, especially with the the current work he's been doing. It's been really good. Well, obviously, like the smack that 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 SmackDown six era, like it was, yeah. it was outstanding. Yeah. Like I, like that I'm with you. Like that's one of my favorite eras of, of WWE programming ever. Um, but who from that world of sport and, and, and uh, pro wrestling Noah era were people that, that kind of drew you um, like inspired you to, uh, with your pro wrestling journey. All right. So influence on me specifically at first, I wanted to be like, 
a, a Misawa style heavyweight, strong style, taking stupid bumps and like all this stuff. And then uh, there's a veteran around here. He's been wrestling like more than 20 years. Uh, he's kind of like my wrestling papa bear. He was like, listen, you're like 165 pounds. Don't be taking these fucking stupid. Can I swear? Oh, yeah, you can swear. Okay. Don't be taking these fucking stupid bumps on your head in front of 20 fans for $10 right now. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so reluctantly, I put all that kind of aside and stopped letting people, you, you know, or even volunteering myself for stupid head bumps and was more conservative style. And that sort of developed into a more very Johnny Saint influenced uh, technical style that I use now. Mm. Um, People have compared me to a Zack Sabre Jr. And I appreciate that comparison, but he's obviously much better than me. Um, but to quickly sum up, summarize the style that I evolved into, it was him or uh, when I saw him, I was like, that's who I want to be. I, he's, he's being what I'm trying to be. But Johnny Saint, uh, Les Kettle, Mike Flash Gordon, I don't know if he's a little bit of a lesser known. And Jim, Jim Brakes in particular from the world of sport era really influenced me. And then Dean Malenko, um, Jushin Liger, even though I'm not a high flyer at all, <laughs> but, uh, all kind of form this big mishmash in, oh, and especially Daniel Bryan, mm. uh, big mishmash. And that's who I ended up being. Oh, it's interesting, like you bringing up uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Because yes, you can definitely see elements of that in in your style, that that very much that British catch wrestling style. I think that you know, obviously Zach and to an extent, you know, Jonathan Gresham also down here in the states have brought that style to a different prominence um, mm -hmm. recently. And then of course the influx of the amazing like modern British talent over in the Brit wrestling scene. Um, yep. that have made the either have stayed over there and built up promotions there or have come across the the Atlantic to kind of do their thing over here. It's one of those things where like the name Jim Brakes is becoming more of a household name because of people like Pete Dunn and Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. Yes. Um, and do you how, how does it make you feel to see like these people that you know might were like once like lesser known but people that you essentially grew up on? Um, in, in your pro wrestling journey to see them start to kind of get their due a bit more um, as you start to emulate them more for yourself? Um, it's more of finally being able to say a person's name and having them simply know who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> because if I, if I was to say, like, oh, I really like Johnny Saint, a lot of the time people wouldn't know who I was talking about. And this isn't everyone, obviously, but even the more casual North American fans, they're not going to know who he is. And that's no disrespect to him. It's just his time and his place. Like when he was wrestling, there was no internet. So there was no way you were going to find these videos of him. When now I can say he's the general manager of NXT UK, they at least can put a face to the person. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing the style come over and become a little bit more popular has really helped me as performer because now People before it was a little bit more difficult to get my my style over in matches because it's not what they're used to seeing on television. 
But mm. now they're used to at least seeing a little bit on TV. They see like Pete Dunn's and even Finn Balor in, a, in appropriate matches and stuff like that. Um, and Daniel Bryan when he's allowed and stuff like that. So it's, it's made it a bit easier and a little, it's a breath of fresh air for me personally. And uh, yeah, being able to just say Johnny Saint and have them know who it is, is always puts a smile on my face. <laughs> the, the NXT takeover where they showed him in the crowd, that got the biggest reaction for me all night. I don't even remember what else happened on that card. I just remember them showing Johnny Saint the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's I, I will admit, like I Johnny Saint is a name that I knew, but I, I hadn't really delved back into that the world of sport archive that much. Mm. So I hadn't seen a ton of his work, but then like seeing him pop up there made me kind of want to go back and just like, okay, this dude is just a savant. Like yeah, there's there's He's so much one. yeah, there's so much of like modern era pro wrestling that is just built off of what he did. And like even people that I grew up like watching from that came from that um that area like like you said before the william regals of the world like mm -hmm. like that dude i'm i i could watch william regal like wrestle for for hours and yeah and i it's just amazing to to see to know that like i gravitated to that style but didn't know where it came from like where the building blocks were for it and it's awesome to see that they're getting their due now in in a larger stage in that way absolutely i i always think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a travesty. We never got to see the end of that tyrannical William Regal uh, GM storyline. Mm. I know he was going through like a really hard uh, personal struggle, but the way that storyline was going, it, it sounded like we were getting world champion William Regal. And I was really excited for that. But uh, I'm just glad that that uh, personal era is behind him. And uh, at least people now are looking back and realizing how good he is. He was kind of an unsung hero of that time. Like he had those great matches with Punk. Um, those really come to mind around that time, the King of the Ring matches. And then they were having matches for the IC title and crazy things like that. And for compared to the rest of the roster at the time, at an advanced age for him too. Still taking bumps like that is crazy. And right up until the end, he was having matches with Cesaro and Chris Hero uh, on NXT. And they were all fantastic. And uh, it just goes to show that the longevity that he's had and the multiple generations of wrestlers that have been influenced by him it is crazy. It's really glad to see him get uh, the respect and uh, admiration he deserves. No, for sure. For sure. So I want to go back a little bit to like some of your beginning years, because I feel like that that Bret Hart moment that you brought up is was fairly, fairly early on for you in a way i want to say that was like what 2013 2014 around then uh, which which moment oh sorry with the uh with the nxw championship because i know like that was like you were like the first if i'm not mistaken you were the first nxw champion yeah i was yeah yeah uh that was about uh i want to say 2012 2013 something like that and yeah. uh bret hart was the special well, that was at the end of my title reign. He cost me the title. Um, but yeah, that was pretty mind-blowing to me. But because I didn't watch him growing up, I was kind of like, eh, that's cool, I guess. But <laughs> Brett Evans, uh, who is a lifelong WWE fan and thinks Bret Hart's the greatest guy in the world, is like, Bret Hart's in your fucking match? Oh, my God. He's like texting me the whole time. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool, I guess. I honestly wasn't bothered too much by it. Um, the more funny story is going into the match. The promoter is also the guy in wrestling, and he's like, we need to blow off this feud. What kind of gimmick matches are you comfortable doing? And I'm, I'm simply not. So I tried <laughs> to talk him into doing like two out of three falls, Iron Man matches, basically anything where it's just a match that takes a longer time. Yeah. But he wanted to do something crazy in the ladder match. So he wanted me to push the ladder over from inside the ring and then he would fall out of the ring and just straight hit the floor. And I I was like, there is no way I'm doing that. If you fall and you get hurt, that's on my conscience now. And I'm just not willing to do it. Um, So they had my manager who just happened to be minding his own business really come into the ring and was only worried about Jay's safety, was trying to hold the ladder up, and it happened to fall over when he touched it. And then Brett came in, sticking his nose into our business, and he hits the manager, hits me, and then uh, Jay ended up winning the title because of that. So ever since then, I've hated Brett Hart. <laughs> <laughs> it's like years-long beef at this point. Yeah, I went to... Uh, my one of my best friends, his name's Roy Dragneel. He's a local wrestler uh, alongside me. He loves Shawn Michaels. Like Shawn Michaels is the best wrestler in the world, in his opinion. He watches the Iron Man match that he and Brett had once a week. Wow. So I, I went to the Heart Dungeon when I was out in Calgary and gave the the super kick to the to the sign <laughs> <laughs> and and yelled that Brett uh, Shawn was always better than Brett and uh, sent him the video and it made him very happy. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is interesting to hear like that that sort of like uh like deference there between because you would think like you know especially for people that that are outside of Canada like the 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 narrative has always been that like Bret Hart is a Canadian hero in that way yeah. but you know you like not you didn't necessarily grow up in that environment you didn't watch WWF growing up you didn't grow up mm-hmm. like have the like formative years especially with wrestling in canada it seems like that was more in greece uh for yourself so like you were kind of removed from that what's it like for you to like kind of see other people that have this high regard for for brett and to kind of like be a bit of an outlier within uh the canadian wrestling circles no I, i totally get it yeah like uh as much as it doesn't like i can understand somebody's love for something even if i don't necessarily feel that same way like somebody could tell me how much they love, I don't know, Digimon, and I don't like it, but I get it. Same as somebody telling me they love someone I've never even watched wrestle. Um, I can't think of any offhand. Well, somebody loves the Sandman, even though I, I could never watch one of his matches. I understand it because I love Johnny Saint. And to that person, he may never be able to watch a Johnny Saint match because he might think it's boring. And if somebody said, I think, somebody said that to me i'd be like i can understand why you might say that i mean if you're used to watching sandman you probably think johnny saint's boring <laughs> so like i get it <laughs> yeah do you feel like that that sort of a uh, difference between because obviously like pro wrestling fans in general they sometimes can be like very focused on a certain style you know oh, totally and because of that, like they do see other things, like other styles as being like uninteresting at times, that sort of thing. But obviously that has caused a lot of like divisive 
arguments like anything else in pro wrestling at this point. I feel like it's one of the more divisive fandoms out there in many, many ways. But um, do you feel like that that level of understanding that, that you have like to see like, well, yes, like every style is someone's favorite style. Every wrestler is someone's favorite wrestler. Do you feel like that sort of mindset is starting to kind of emerge more um, amongst the, the greater like pro wrestling, like fandom world in a way? I really hope so. Yeah. Uh, because it, that would just make it, it's, we're all sharing in this love of wrestling and to sit there and argue about something nonsensical like that. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I know there's always going to be diehards. Um who are my style, the style that I watch is the only style and everything else is trash. Um, I'll never understand that. Uh, like when I was a, a young, a younger, angry sort of teenage kid, like I understood it from a, a music perspective. So like in a way I understand how they could feel that way. Cause I used to think anything that wasn't metal is bad. Now I think that's ridiculous. And I'm hoping that the wrestling community progresses that reaches that same maturity and thinks that you know, that site type of infighting is also as foolish. All right, Jens, thank you so much for tuning into LGBT in the ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free. Check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBT RingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. Talk to me a little bit about uh, Premier Championship Wrestling. Obviously, that's like your home promotion there in Winnipeg. Yep. You've been with them for like almost the extent of the time that you've been in pro wrestling at this point. How did you end yep. up getting linked up with Andrew Shawcross up there um, and, and starring it for PCW? I actually didn't have any trouble uh, getting started with PCW. Um, there were a lot of local promotions. Uh, and when the first time I ever went, I just went to watch and... Uh, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be like start wrestling at this point. So I was just there to check out the scene and it was so good and blew me away that I was like, okay, I, there's no way I could work here. 
these guys are too good for me right now. Like I, I bear, I have one camp that was like a month and a half long under my belt. I have no business being here. So I went into some of the like smaller, um, more, more bingo hallish promotions, even though PCW is just a bigger bingo hall promotion. (laughs) 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 But at the time it was a big deal to me. Right. Yeah. So I, I applied my craft in those places and I never regretted going there. I don't regret leaving there either. Uh, I feel like I learned everything that I could. And then I moved on to the next phase of my career, which wasn't PCW. And he was very inviting to me. And, uh, yeah, so I probably, I started in 2010 by 2012, I was in PCW. And then by the end of 2012, I had my first match against Kenny Omega. Now at the time he was in DDT and barely making spots in ROH. So he wasn't the star that he is now, but still you, you knew who he was on the Canadian independent scene. He's a huge deal. And he had just wrestled like Tyler Black and Brian Danielson in some triple threat match or something like that. Um, so now I'm two years in standing across the ring from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a tall task. <laughs> uh, yeah, luckily nothing went too badly. Uh, um, I do remember f- forgetting something in the match. And I just, I, I did what like any wrestler in that position would do. I just grabbed his head and gave him the head mare, put him in like a reverse chin lock. It was like, okay, I don't know where we go. And he's like, whip me in the corner, watch the boot. I'm like, okay. And then I picked him up, whipped him in the corner, watched the boot, and we were right back on track. And um, that's how I ended up working him so many times is because he, uh, I've been very fortunate and he kind of took a little bit. I don't know if he like likes me personally, but he likes me professionally because I've never hurt him. Not one time. (laughs) (laughs) So like every time he comes into town, he asks to work me. And then Andrew has to go like, okay, you can't work them all the time. But sometimes Kenny just goes, well, too bad. I want to work them anyway. There's this one time I got to work Hikaru Shida as well. Ah. Um, It was Kenny and Hikaru Shida and Chris Stevens against me, my brother, and then our partner who happens to just have the same kind of hair as Kenny. So they actually like look the same. So my the, the story of the match was I was bringing in the new Kenny Omega, the Kenny Omega 2.0, and he's better than the original and all that kind of stuff. So the, I wasn't supposed to work with him that day because we were the tag team champions and Andrew wanted to defend us, us to defend the belt. And Kenny's like, well, I want to work the Londons. And Andrew goes, I want, to, I want them to defend the belt. And Kenny goes, well, too fucking bad because I'm working the Londons. And that's what happened (laughs) (laughs) what is it is that does that give you like a sense of validation whenever you are like you're two years in and you're going up against kenny omega and you're like quickly earning his confidence like does that give you a sense of validation in your choice to go into pro wrestling um it does and it still does to this day like there are people who will say that i haven't accomplished anything well i was in a match with the iwgp heavyweight champion do you know how many guys on the independent scene can say that? Not a whole lot. In fact, everybody who can was probably in that match with me. So, <laughs> um, like I've said I, or, already, I've been blessed with so many opportunities. So for people who are my detractors or, you know, there's always drama in the local scene who might say that I haven't done anything or been anywhere. Yeah, maybe you're right, but I've done way more than I ever thought that I was going to. And if you're saying that to me, there's a good chance that you haven't done anything either. 
So, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean it's it's true though. Like those sort of things can be very, very um, like good for building confidence in in that way. And and it's definitely like you've gone on to do so much with PCW, and whether it be because of that the confidence that that match gave you, or just like everything else from your career. Like you've had you've had a long stay there, and and you've put out some really great stuff. You know, both on your own and as a tag team. Um, whether it be the London Dynasty or the Gentlemen's Club, um, talk to me a little bit about the the tag team stuff there. Like, what was it like for you whenever you kind of got got put together um, into the team and like winning? Like, just it seems like you're always winning the tag team titles there at one point or another. Uh, yeah, we are uh, combined. I think we have nine reigns as tag team champions. Like, n- not just BCW, but in, like uh, other. We were champions in three provinces at once at one time. Oh, wow. And, and we're just carrying the belts around with us everywhere. And at some point, we just needed a new gear bag just to carry the belts. Um, and it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know where I got it in my head that if you're the champion, you have to take the belt with you everywhere. But really, when I was, in other, when I was at other promotions, I really didn't have to bring the belt. But for some reason, I felt that I had to. And... Uh, yeah, I quickly ditched that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's it's cool to have the the chance to take the Ultimo Dragon picture, but at the same time, yeah. like, is it really like something you want to take on a daily basis? <laughs> well, I could only take it if I had all my bro- brothers as well. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he uh, my my main partner is my biological brother, uh, uh, David London, mm. and. Uh, yeah us being put together is like a natural thing because while i'm more of a reserved person uh i'm more of a wrestler's wrestler per se and that's not necessarily by my choice it's just how my personality is and i find that part of being in front of the crowd very difficult my brother excels in that area with like connecting with the crowd and he's more into like big suplexes and big little bit bigger bumps and things like that so we work really well as a dynamic for the team. And uh, they actually tried to split us up at some point and just nobody gave a shit. Nobody wanted to see us against each other. So we're together forever. And um, that did lead to the Gentleman's Club, which was a great thing for me to do. It's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my career um, because of the message that got to tell. And I always kind of think it's funny that when I have to tell people this story about it being a queer positive storyline, we never intentionally set out to do that. It all just kind of happened and we were doing it to pop ourselves because we thought it would be funny. Mm. Um, but if you like, I could go into more detail on that if you like. Yeah, definitely. Cause I let people know like that might not be familiar with the, with the gentleman's club storyline, what that ties okay. into. Uh, so the gentleman's club uh, evolved from the tag team that I was in with my brother. And we aligned with a third person uh, named Alex Vanna. And at the time, me and my brother were like, we're just, we're just done being in groups. We don't want to be in stable anymore. We're tired of being the tag team that you send out to get beat up by the singles wrestler 2v1. And it makes no sense. We're tired of that. Like, we don't want to do it anymore. We, we've been the lackey long enough. We figure it's our time. So when Alex came in, he was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. We are all equal in this group. And 
if that's ever asked of me, I'm just not going to do it. We're all going to together say no. And three of us together saying no was a lot better than one of us. Um, then we started to think of how we could make it different. And we thought it would get heat, honestly, because, let, well, wrestling fans don't always have the best uh, rep reputation for being open and, uh, you know, with queer personalities and stuff. So it's like, what if we weren't together like a group? What if we were like together? And it was the two of us, the brothers, in a relationship with Alex Vanna. And during our, the entrance, he would lean forward like this and we would stand on one side of his cheek and like do the one foot up, kiss him, like lean in, kiss his cheeks. And uh, whenever he would like, so he, there's an example where he's on his knees uh, and he's got the belt and he just won it. And I like lean, <laughs> like I lean over, like kiss the belt. And it, it looks, you know, it's very homoerotic, the whole thing. And slowly the crowd started to realize like, wait a minute, they're not together. They're together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it really got over in, I have this spot uh, where I put people like I'm gonna give them the Mexican stretch. My brother will come over and suck my finger, again, very homoerotic, and I'll put it in my opponent's ear. Then I'll put my finger in the back of my trunks and put it in my opponent's mouth. <laughs> and so at one point, the baby faces had cut us off and they forced my finger into my brother's mouth. And my brother spits and goes like, oh, it tastes like Alex Vanna's dick. <laughs> and then like, it takes a second because the crowd goes like, wait a minute, how does he know and then why does oh <laughs> two and two <laughs> it, it got like two reactions it got the reaction of it actually happening and then the reaction of it actually sinking into everybody's head as to what he had said <laughs> um but that let me come out uh when that all became so well accepted and the crowd was invested in the relationship to the point where they had to turn they had to turn us babyface because they wouldn't boo us anymore. And the stupid spot, which is the dumbest spot I've ever done, but it's the most over spot that I do, which is ironic because I worked so hard to be a serious wrestler and this stupid spot I started doing got over, which is kind of always how it goes, I guess. Um, I considered stop doing it, uh, stopping doing it because it was getting a positive reaction. But the promoter was like, no, just keep doing it. We'll just turn you babyface eventually anyways. So when he breaks up with us, he says onto the microphone, um, my brother says off mic, like, we loved you. And he goes, I know you loved me, but I never, ever loved you. And the whole crowd booed him and called him an asshole so loud that us in the ring can't hear him talking to us in the microphone. <laughs> he, they're drowning out the speakers. Wow. And it was crazy. Um, and for them to be so welcoming to the idea of like, I guess there would be like a gay polyamorous relationship um, made me feel really comfortable coming out and saying how, like about talking about my sexuality and things like that. And then Andrew was the first person to contact me when I did come out. And he said, if anybody gives you any trouble, you tell me and I'll beat the shit out of them. And if you ever saw Andrew, there would not be any doubt in your mind that he could. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and one person, only one person has ever um, dropped the F-bomb on me. And Adam Knight, again, 
who looks like a bear, like an actual shaved bear was like, okay, are we going to do this? Because I'll do this if you want. And he's like ready to fight the guy on the spot, like no questions asked. And that person has never been allowed back. Mm. Um, so I feel very safe in, in the PCW locker room. And none of that, me being open about any of that stuff, none of that would have been possible without the storyline with Alex Bana, which all started as a, as a rib between the three of us to make ourselves laugh. <laughs> Had that been something like uh, being open about, about your identity, about your queerness, like had that been something that had weighed on you throughout your pro wrestling journey up to that point? Um, fortunately, not at all. Um, Good. My psychology or my like psychological makeup as it pertains to that is very, I don't want to say it's unique because I'm sure there's other people that feel this way, but uh, I, I find it's very atypical because I just don't give a shit. Like, I don't, I don't care at all. There's no, like people try, um, like they try and mislabel me and it, it just doesn't bother me. Like, I don't care. You saying I am that thing doesn't suddenly make me that thing. That's not how words work. Like somebody's words only have as much power as you give them. So if your person says that thing to you and then it's weaponized, you've given them that power and now they know that they have it and they can use it against you. But if you just go, I don't, I don't care, then they have, they're like not, they're throwing tissue paper at you. It can't hurt you. And, and at least that's how it is for me. And I understand how it could not be for other people, but that's how it is for me. So it was never an, a, a thing where I wanted or felt the need to come out. The only reason I even did is because of um, there, there was an, a situation where it became important that if we were gonna present queer characters, uh, it, it was important that the people portraying those characters actually be queer. And mm. like, uh, I can't speak for my brother or for Chris or Alex, I should say, but for me, I felt it important at that time to come forward with who I was. So people knew that we weren't just like playing these um, characters. Because at the time, I didn't think there would be anything wrong with portraying a gay character. Because my thinking is like, well, there's no gay people on TV, except Captain Holt. There's no like, <laughs> there's no like, uh, there's no queer representation in the, in the company. So even if straight people are doing it, like that's good because now they're seeing queer characters but it's even more impactful when it comes from a queer person and even though i don't identify as gay uh i felt that it was just important enough to come forward and say that i am whatever it is that i am even though i i haven't really nailed quite down what that is yet mm -hmm. well i mean all these things are very fluid you know like it's, it's one of those things yeah, exactly. where there's really no like I, it's one of those things that gets frustrating for, for me sometimes is just like how people want to nail down people in the LGBTQ community to one specific thing. Like it's perfectly fine if, if you do identify with like a certain, a certain framing, a certain term in that way, but no one should be um, like required to like, just say, this is what I am. That's what I am always going to be, you know, it's, yes. It's one of the things that I find frustrating with um, some uh, some wrestling media sites whenever they're talking about people that come out. Um, you know, most notably, I think most recently with whenever Tegan Knox came out, a number of places like basically jumped to 
her like saying that she came out as lesbian whenever in actuality she didn't clarify anything and people yeah. were putting that stuff onto her so like i totally understand that 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 aspect of just like not wanting to really quantify yourself before you even really define yourself mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that's exactly how i feel about it and um yeah i've just been very fortunate in that people's words can't hurt me so it's like regardless of what they said to me and uh, nobody was using uh, like homophobic slurs against me before they knew because I guess they figured they have no reason. But um, yeah, I never felt the urge because I just, I don't understand why people care mm. in a good way or a bad way. I didn't understand why people cared. And then it was actually talking with Darnell and a few other people close to me who maybe realized why people would care in a positive way if I was a queer person performing, even though I honestly believe I'm bad representation, because if you look at someone like, if you look at someone like Effie, who is carrying the flag very, very brightly and loudly, it's very obvious that he's a queer person. But if you look at me on a, on a poster, I don't look any different than anyone else. No one's going to suspect unless they knew me personally, or they see me kissing a guy uh, during the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in a way, I think I'm bad representation that way because nobody knows unless they already know. So like if a queer person comes into a show expecting to see queer people, they might not pick me out at all. Hmm. As where there's a there's a person uh, named Mike McSugar who performs as he's never come out and say that his character is queer. He's just androgynous. Like he he's very influenced by uh, like hair bands, how like. Uh, like poison used to dress like women essentially yeah he's very influenced by that type of uh making his opponents uncomfortable that way and when he's a baby face they're discriminating against him for being that way you know mm. but as far as i know he's a straight man and i thought that was fine and when it was uh pointed out to me that it may not be fine because queer people want to see queer people actually be, you know played by uh queer characters played by queer people I felt it was a time, it was time for me to come out with my own story, even though my own story is pretty uninteresting. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily uninteresting because like it, it, it's, it's always interesting to me how pro wrestling interacts with those sort of things and, and helps like, not necessarily like, I guess for you, like not necessarily create an avenue for you to to be able to express that because it seemed like that wasn't necessarily anything that had really been like present on your mind. Like you said, like you didn't necessarily need to like come out publicly for yourself. You know, it was more, but, but at the same time, it did kind of create a pathway for you to do that and to offer and, and through that now offer uh, representation to other people that in the community that might, um, might not have seen it before in in your area or, or anything like that and i will push back on one thing that you said because i don't see you as bad representation in that way um and so it, because one thing that's come up multiple times with, with guests on this show is like talking about not just the presentation of queer identities but the diversity of queer identities because yes effie is very loud very boisterous very in your face and very bright colors all the time um, but at the same time, not every queer person is Effie, you know, and, yeah, and it's, exactly. it's, it's very important for people to see the, the diversity that of presentations and, and uh, personalities that the community offers. 
You know, that's one reason why I love the dichotomy between Effie and Pero. Uh, whenever I see those th them together, because they are two diametrically different presentations of of queer identities in that way, and the same goes goes for you, because like there's probably somebody out there who like looks who like looks like like you or like th things like you, and is queer but doesn't necessarily like outwardly express it as like boisterously, but at the same time they still probably value seeing someone like you on the stage that you're in. Um, yeah, uh, I understand that. And, uh, I've been told that before, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, about people trying to like reassure me. And I think that's only, that's really just my self doubt, like always creeping in. You always want to be better or be, you know, be more than you are per se, or minimum part of my psychology is minimizing my own impact in my own life per se. I haven't, you know, it's funny that I say like the people saying that I haven't accomplished anything don't bother me, but I say I don't accomplish anything and that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> but if it comes to someone else, I don't give a shit because like, I tend to like, you know, negativity always seeps in no matter how positive you try and be. We all have those moments. So I truly think that it's probably just my own psychology, like poking at me thinking that way. But uh, I do appreciate the kind words. No, of course. And like, I, we are all our own worst critic. I, I think that's something that everybody struggles with, like you said. And so there will be plenty of people out here to like tell you otherwise, even if it's like one of those things that's kind of hard to internalize at the same time. I have to deal with it too. So <laughs> I totally understand it. <laughs> um, well, I do want to ask you, you talked about the, the Kenny Omega honky tonk man thing. Yeah. I, need, I need to hear that story. I need to hear that story. Uh, so I don't, I don't remember it super well. Um, yeah. It's a tag team match with Chad Tatum and I for, and Honky Tonk Man versus Kenny. No, it, it has to be Chad Tatum, Honky, and Kenny versus myself and then two other guys who escaped me. But all I remember is we're in a bar in Brandon. There's maybe 70 people there and they want to hit me with this thing. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> First of all, they were, they just went out and got a guitar. So I know for a fact, it's not a gimmick guitar. And I'm like, I do not want to get hit by this fucking thing. But at that point in my career, I'm not in a position where I could say no. And it's Kenny and honky. That's telling you, you're going to do it. And I don't want to say that they pressured me into it, but I just, I felt under my own skin that I couldn't, I couldn't say no to it. So he drills me with this thing. And I remember it being so hard that my wisdom teeth hurt. And then I, I hit the ground and I roll out of the ring and I'm like, okay, I do a quick check, like move my fingers and stuff like that, make sure I'm okay. And I'm like, all right, I'm good. And the next thing I know, bam, guitar hits me in the face. And I went, what the fuck? <laughs> and someone had either thrown the guitar out of the ring over the top rope or like kicked it out onto the bottom rope. And it just happened to land square on my face. And that hurt almost just as much. <laughs> but what's worse is I had to not react to getting hit in the face. So I just had to lie there and let it sit on my face because I had just been knocked out. So I couldn't move. So I was doing my best not to sell being hit in the head again. And uh, after the show, uh, Honky signed it for me and stuff like that. And I guess that's a thing where if you get hit by it, you get to keep it. And as I was leaving, someone was like, I'll give you a hundred bucks for that. 
like just a guy in the audience and was like don't gotta tell me twice here you go (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah at the time i was making like no money Mm -hmm. like not nothing andrew has never paid me nothing um but it's nothing compared to like what i would ask for now so getting a big payday out of it was totally cool by me yeah yeah i don't blame you like that that's something that that uh definitely an advantageous moment i would say (laughs) (laughs) well as we start to wind down a little bit here there were a couple other things i wanted to ask you about you brought up you know know, tag teaming with your brother david um no you you mentioned earlier like whenever you went to greece like you had split with your other sibling was david that sibling yeah yeah so did he grow up i guess he grew up with a love of pro wrestling uh, on his like separate from from you and it just kind of like reconvened whenever you moved back to, to Canada okay so he he did watch wrestling in fact his favorite character his favorite wrestler is the rock hands down and uh I can get to a funny story about his list of favorite wrestlers so um he ended up loving the rock and Kurt Angle and guys like that but when I moved back in I was like, okay, you got to see this shit. And uh, I showed him World of Sport. And that's when he really started to love uh, Fit Finley. Mm. Um, so that's where we started to bond. And then we actually are able to do, I'm not sure we could anymore, but we used to go through the Fit Finley uh, Dynamite Kid match spot for spot and replicate it. Um, I don't know why we were doing this in training, but we just did. um but yeah so when when i came back i started working with him at first just as a way for me to have a workout partner to be able to go through holds with you know it started very simple it's like me seeing something and then walking up to him and going hang on i want to try this thing (laughs) (laughs) but eventually he got interested and then it it sort of steamrolled and now he's my tag partner and uh yeah i can't imagine doing it without him now Mm. But had, oh, his sorry, second favorite wrestler yes. is Colt Cabana. Ah. So The Rock, Colt Cabana, Kurt Angle. <laughs> <laughs> and the first time we got to wrestle Colt, Colt Cabana, my brother wouldn't even talk to him. He was that nervous. He was oh. like, it was like meeting Brad Pitt or something. He was like, I can't, I, my uh, Colt was like, what do you do? And my brother was just like, <laughs> now I was like, he does a belly to belly. <laughs> um, so I pulled Colt aside and it was like, listen, you're my brother's second favorite wrestler. And he's like, second. And I go, yeah, it goes The Rock, then Colt Cabana. And he goes, how the fuck am I just below The Rock? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Colt was like, oh, oh, great. I was, uh, anyways, I was saying like, uh, could you just do a little spot with him? It would mean the world if you could just do a little spot with him in the match. And he goes, he could pin me. And uh, oh, yeah, wow. let, uh, my brother pin him. See, um, I, I, that's what I love about like hearing about Colt Cabana. Like he is just so, so selfless and, and great in, in that way. Yeah, he's never let my brother uh, forget it either. Like, <laughs> Anytime he's seen us since, he'll like wrap my brother's wrap his arm around him and like play with his beard and stuff. <laughs> Just give him a hard time. <laughs> I love it. 
no like that's just i don't know this is so heartwarming in in, in a way <laughs> I, I love it had you and had you and david been in contact whenever you were living apart from one another during that time that time span uh, not a whole lot um internet like this was before internet was really commonplace and it was very bad most of the time and even like i don't even think facebook was around yet no like not even myspace for the longest time so like i was uh for many years it was a it was a blackout pretty much because i didn't know where he went and mm. i don't think he knew where i went so it was very difficult but once we started once we did figure each where each other were and how to get in contact then we were chatting a little bit but it was never about wrestling Mm. That that was not even a thing until I came back. That's interesting to hear, like the the separate paths that y'all took, but like they're still like somewhat similar, and they both brought you back together to form a, a tag team and actually both enter the ring together. Like, what is it? What was it like for you to come back and see that the interest that you had had grown in pro wrestling was like mirrored in in your brother, and to eventually like form the tag team after being apart for so long uh it was pretty cool uh it's getting a confidant and um someone i can confide in about anything i'm feeling about the business because like you know we've taken a lot of shit for what each other has done <laughs> or said <laughs> um but we always have each other's back at the end of the day is what it comes down to um like me and my brother have been thrown out of a locker room um, because my brother didn't want to work this guy who I knew was dangerous. Like everybody knew was dangerous, but my brother's been in the business five minutes and it's like, he doesn't know how to work. And I went <gasps> like, you can, that's the wrong way to say that. <laughs> but the, the guy uh, like threw us out of the locker room, said we were disrespectful or whatever. And like, eventually they made amends or whatever. But when he told my brother to leave, I was like, well, I'm leaving too then. That's how it goes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just really good to always have somebody there with you. And it's even the blood, the bond is even greater when it's family, like real family, not like fast and furious family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just felt really great to have somebody, uh, so close to me yeah uh, in the business with me just to, to see the shit show that it really is <laughs> <laughs> uh well uh it it's it really is a, a very extraordinary like uh thing to to hear that story kind of play out in the way that it has and to see y'all come back together and have all the success that y'all have had together you know mm -hmm. it's just it's just really awesome to see um my last my last question for you um it's not wrestling related i had to i had to ask you about this though because you have to be one of the larger uh Yu-Gi-Oh fans that mm -hmm. i have uh, come across in a while talk to me a little bit how did how did you get into to Yu-Gi-Oh uh, and and why is that like persisted for you like going forward well, I was into Yu-Gi-Oh when it was new and there was only like two decks. You were either playing Blue Eyes or Dark Magician. And that was like when it first started and the anime was brand new over here and like all that stuff. 
but I very that was around the age where I started to get too cool to do kids stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I didn't play it very long. I think by the time the uh, the Joey and Pegasus structure decks had come out, I had already stopped, which means I never got to play with synchros or pendulums or even Xyz or anything like that. And then only a few years ago, I came back into the game because Roy Dragneal plays it. And we started talking about it. And I played one of the video games because I was bored. And then we were like, well, we could play this for real. And uh, it was something else to do, which was really important at the time. <laughs> um, and I started taking it seriously. And my channel became about, my YouTube channel ended up becoming about Yu-Gi-Oh! When I was posting my wrestling matches and like they just weren't getting traction because you know, I'm not that big of a name on the independence. Um, and my market really is live performances. Mm. So people want to see me in person. They don't so much want to see me like it's a very different atmosphere being in like a bar show. Everybody's crazy into the matches and all that stuff. And then watching that same thing. It's just not the same experience. And people are paying for that experience. Um, so my matches just weren't getting traction. And uh, I for no reason at all, I posted a just in case people who did follow my wrestling would be interested here is my life i got like top four or whatever in some just local competition didn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things but here's my deck combo here's how it worked and the only thing i changed was i put one of my favorite cards in it the crystal wing synchro dragon which is fairly difficult to make um but nobody else had done that and it blew up it got like eleven thousand views now, wow. comparatively, my matches with Kenny get like 2,000. <laughs> so people care way more about Crystal Wing Synchro Dragon <laughs> than they do about Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and after that, I was like, well, I guess I'm a Yu-Gi-Oh! channel now. And sponsors reached out to me and stuff like immediately off of that one video. So I got my deal with TCG Player, which apparently everyone has. So it's not that big of a deal. But later I got more stuff. And then I started getting a real following going on. And, and now, like, technically, I'm paid by Google. So I can say I work for Google. I've got my first paycheck from Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, all just for making stupid YouTube videos about a children's card game. Um, and I, I fell in love with, with the pendulum mechanic and uh, the ability to play all the other summoning types in one deck i can fusion synchro xes and then pendulum summon all at the same and now link summon all at the same time and uh the versatility it afforded me allowed me to be really creative and do different things which is why my videos would get traction and uh it's just steamrolled ever since then right up until just a couple of weeks ago when i needed like uh, a time to decompress and like take a break as i've been putting videos and content out all the time and um, there comes a point where the deck has been figured out. There's nothing new for me to do yet. So for a while, I'm just going to take a break, recoup, and then come back to it feeling refreshed. But uh, yeah, I've now watched all the anime that I missed and uh, learned all the rules that I missed, all that kind of stuff. And uh, on top of that, recently I got into Warhammer 40,000. Oh, now wow. I'm doing that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother... A uh, bag of worms when it comes to a game. I thought I knew a complicated game with Yu-Gi-Oh. That is something else. 
No, for sure. Like I, Yu-Gi-Oh, it, it always holds a place in my heart, even though I haven't touched a deck in probably like 15 years at this point, mm-hmm. but I still play a good amount of magic. So I still have that, that TCG bug a bit. And so it's, it's always interesting to see like one, I just love, I love like watching people that know, like have a vast knowledge of, of a trading card game, even if I don't, but also mm-hmm. because of the enthusiasm and the love that they have for it that comes across in that presentation. And I think that is something that is a, a unique to trading card channels like yourself and, and others out there. Uh, yeah, not only do I love, I love the game when the game is good. I love the deck that I was dedicated to, and my whole channel was dedicated to making that deck work. And I think that's why I got the following that I did. Um, and it's not a huge, it's not a huge following, but it's a following enough where, like I said, Google's sending me money. So <laughs> that's crazy to me. That would have never happened if I just kept putting out my wrestling videos. Mm. Um, they just weren't getting any traction. Mm. Well, I know that you're in like the recoup process and kind of like re-examining like the next step. Do you already have an idea maybe for, for a new build going in? Something, something new has to come out. Yeah. At, at this point, the deck has been so power crept that getting a, getting even a win is difficult. Never mind lacing together five over the course of a tournament. It's going to be virtually, it would be like, it would be like trying to go into a like a standard format magic with only portal set cards Yikes! you're never gonna succeed (laughs) the portal set is the one set that i played magic the gathering which is the only way i can make that reference (laughs) i was like oh this looks cool picked up a deck started to play with it three months later set rotation happened and i learned what that was and i went this is bullshit (laughs) <laughs> and I just never played again. <laughs> it feels like every three months there's some new bullshit <laughs> in that way. So, like that's the uh, um, one thing about Yu-Gi-Oh is there is no set rotation. Your cards that you bought in I, I don't know when the game show started, like 2002, 2012, something like that. Um, your cards that you bought then are still legal now, unless they're on the forbidden list. But in Magic they rotate the sets out every year. So if I spend $3,000 to build my competitive deck, I better get that year of use out of it. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, that boggles my mind. And as a, as a like kid, when I'm putting my, my very small hobby budget into a deck and I only got to use for three months, I was vexed to say the least when the set rotated. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I've been playing the, 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 mtg arena the the online game a little bit too and like even on there like it's the same sort of problems with that with the ecosystem and the set rotations there so like it's just it somehow is inherent to magic and that inherent thing will never go away as frustrating as it is it's 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 a strange characteristic to have to put an expiry date on your own cards like I understand it from a game balancing perspective because the power creep is much, it exists for sure. That's undeniable, but it's much slower in magic than it is in Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh is insane year to year, but with magic, if they unleash this, this disgusting monster that completely breaks the game at maximum, you have to deal with it for a year. So the game is unfun for a year and then it's gone. So like in that, 
way, I understand it. But that's why Yu-Gi-Oh! has the forbidden list that's updated every couple of months. They hit things that are problematic. Or in the case of Electromite, they keep it on the list for no fucking reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they're just two, they're, they're in the same world, but on like two vastly different continents, those two games. And even the companies behind them have two completely different mentalities on how to make business. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, I just love, I just love Yu-Gi-Oh! so much. I just wish it loved me back. <laughs> well i mean you're getting that google money so it's it's loving you back in some way so just a little <laughs> <laughs> well i know like i'm excited whenever um, you're you got some uh new videos coming up uh to, to check those out and everything and of course uh whenever you're able to get back into the ring safely and and you know post pandemic um era it'll be very very exciting to see you get back in in the ring there and i once again thank you so much for for taking the time let everybody know where they can find leo london online uh you could find me at, at leo london 23 that's on twitter instagram um and my youtube channel is called yugi leo um and yeah you might be able to find me popping up in america when the uh, pandemic is over i was invited to uh not only uncanny attractions to perform but uh i was also contacted about a no ring death match oh which i thought was hilarious because i was like have you ever watched my matches <laughs> and he goes no 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 that's why we're bringing you in you'd be different than everyone else on the card you don't have to take any of that hardcore stuff you could just do what you regularly do and it'll it'll be over because you'll be the only guy doing it and i was like okay, okay that kind of makes sense <laughs> but at first i was like no way <laughs> <laughs> no that is one thing i've really liked with like seeing the no ring deathmatch scene sort of evolve is that like it's not just about the hardcore stuff it's more just about throwing different styles together and 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 seeing what happens so i i selfishly i would like i mean it, i wouldn't mind seeing a no ring deathmatch for leo london but at the same time that's that's it's your body so that's on yeah. you <laughs> but no there like i sorry there's already footage of me. Uh, we are in this big scramble match and there's footage of me. Everybody's going for weapons in this big scramble match. And I powder out to the floor. I grab a hold of my opponent and I just wrist lock him. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is going for weapons. And I was like, we're just going to stay here safe. <laughs> the perks of, uh, of being a catch wrestler right there. Yeah. <laughs> Then oh. you got burned with that show. <laughs> oh. My brother threw Royce Isaacs, who's recently been on AEW and stuff, right through a wall, like legitimately through Jesus. a wall. But yeah. on that note, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for letting me plug my stuff. And uh, if you discovered me through this podcast, please let me know. Like, send me a tweet and make sure that I'm an interesting person to listen to. Oh, you're you're definitely an interesting person to listen to, and I am crossing my fingers for those when those borders open up to see you get down here into the states and uh, show up wherever you may. Uh, thank I would you again. Absolutely love to. My thanks once again to Leo London for coming on the show and and you know sharing so much about his story and his experiences in pro wrestling, and also giving me a chance to actually talk about Magic the Gathering on this podcast. Um, for I think the first time, I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a thing, I guess. <laughs> I 
<laughs> not ex- wasn't necessarily expecting it to go there, but you know, it's okay. We can always uh, talk about tapping lands and such. Anyway, um, be sure to um, check out his, his YouTube channel whenever it does uh, kind of get back into the swing of things with building a, a new deck and all that good stuff. Um, but also, there's some awesome pro wrestling coming up this weekend for you as well. You know, Saturday over on Twitch, you have the MV Young's third Poly M Cult party that is just stacked to the rafters with talent. I think that gets gets, gets started on Saturday at 2:30 p.m. Eastern, if I'm not mistaken. So now an outstanding lineup of you got bands on that show, you got wrestling on that show. Um, it's just going to be a blowout fun. And of course, uh, we're sponsoring that event as well as Invictus Pro Wrestling's In Bloom show, which is uh, taking place live on this Saturday as well. Uh, of course, that's going to go up on uh, the High Spots Network uh, sometime, sh- hopefully shortly after the event goes uh, live over there. So definitely check that out. Two shows that we're sponsoring. I think that one has uh, the Social Media Championship. Uh, being defended by Big Game Leroy against Killian McMurphy, who, and of course, this show is a big fan of the shooter. I'm not going to scream it like he does because I have neighbors, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, regardless, check out uh, In Bloom, check out the Polyam Cult Party, check out Envy Young defending his Wrestlers Lab Championship against Jody. Um, it's just, it's just all going to be fun, and 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 I love it. I'm here for it, and hope you will be too. Um, Anyway, that's going to do it for us here this week. Uh, Next week, only one episode, I promise. And it's going to be talking about the Polyam Cult Party 3 that we just talked about there. So that's going to be a fun one. Another event recap, I can't wait because this is just going to be off the walls. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, But until then, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. And I really hope Ziggy Dice found a way to get that honey out of his hair. Cause that's just messy. Bye.